This is Fix It. I'm Kevin. And I'm Nishan. Today, we're fixing local journalism with Ben DeJarnet. I first met Ben while he was literally lapping me on Pree's trail in Eugene. But Ben did much more than just run for the University of Oregon. He spent his years fine-tuning his journalism skills. Today, Ben is a media consultant and co-author of the book, Reimagining Journalism in a Post-Truth World, How Late-Night Comedians, Internet Trolls, and Savvy Reporters are Transforming News. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the show, Ben. Hey, thanks guys. So Ben, local journalism, big topic. What's the problem with it? What's wrong <laughs> with local journalism? Where should we start? <laughs> um, I kind of think of it in, in three categories. Um, so there's challenges around the norms of journalism. Um, it, you know, journalism has been a profession since the early 1900s and many of the values and and, and norms um, that emerged then uh, still exist now uh, in a very different landscape. And, and that's problematic in, in some ways we'll get to. The second is the business model. For many decades, journalism uh, was able to fund itself and more through through advertising. It basically had, had a monopoly. Um, uh, local media had a monopoly on, on, on advertising. And then uh, the disruption of, of the internet, of platforms like Craigslist, uh, Google, Facebook um, sort of disrupted that and, and local news, local journalism still hasn't quite figured out how to cope and adjust from that. And then the third and, and kind of related area is ownership. Um, if any of your listeners are, are fans of Patriot Act, uh, they just did a really amazing segment in their last season on, on the way that uh, hedge funds and private equity firms are sort of raiding these legacy newspapers and, and just kind of cutting costs faster than revenues fall and and sell off the printing press when they're done. So that's a big challenge, and we're seeing that in communities across the country. Um, but there's equal challenges with, with the startups that are being funded by venture capital and other sort of corporate ownership structures versus, I think, many of the most exciting and, 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 and innovative and valuable contributions to the landscape are sort of local independent founders who really uh, kind of harken back to the ethic of, of community news and and news organizations owned by people in that community who, who care about it and see their work as um, both a business, uh, but, but also as a contribution to, to, the, to where they live and, and to their community. Well, Ben, you know, you're obviously not the first person to voice pieces of this, this changing landscape, but you're, you're one of the few people that's taking concerted effort to solve it. What do you think some of the barriers are that have prevented other people who have recognized this problem from going out and trying to build a comprehensive solution, you know, maybe with respect to each of these dimensions, norms, the changing business models and the ownership of news channels and news publications. What are, what are the barriers keeping fundamental change from coming to each of those? Let's talk about business model. I think this is actually one of the exciting parts of the story. So, you know, one of the huge challenges of starting something new in the media space to this point has been uh, that it's, so darn expensive, you know, uh, there's the cost of kind of the, the web development, getting a, a professional website out of the world just to start making content. And then under this like advertising model that has sort of carried over from print to digital for most publishers, you have to reach a kind of critical threshold of, of, of readers before you can make any money off of that. And because Google and Facebook and other ad platforms are getting better at 
sort of monopolizing that market, um, that threshold keeps getting higher and higher. If you're a no- local news publisher, it's even tougher, right? Because you kind of have a limited constraints on on your total universe of potential audience to start with. So it's really expensive to, uh, you know, A, get that launched, B, do the user acquisition to get to the place where you can start to sell ads and start to make money. So that's why you get the, the venture capital, you get these kind of big companies gobbling up smaller ones, the food fights, food chain, and it really prevents you know, smaller players, more nimble more innovative entrepreneurs from coming to the mix. I think what we're seeing change is that, A, now there's so many platforms that allow you to do the publishing piece you know, without a web developer, without paying thousands of bucks to get your website up. You can just spend uh, you know, a couple hours on Ghost or Substack or any of these other platforms and you've got a great looking newsletter or website and it can start publishing right away. So the costs are lower than they've ever been. And then we're starting to see this transition um, happen in local news where less, less revenue is coming from advertising and the coronavirus pandemic and the economic recession that's followed has sort of accelerated that. On the other, you know, the flip side of the coin is we're seeing more reader revenue. We're seeing real progress in, in membership models and subscription models and kind of substack uh, newsletters with kind of freemium. You get some for free, you get some paid, right? So with that, with that membership model, you can start monetizing literally on reader number one. You know, if you have 10 readers and 10% conversion rate, then you're making money right out the door. So, so there's a real path for, for entrepreneurs now to, to start small and to scale. But until this point, I think that's been, been one of the real challenges. On the norm side, I think this is a bigger, bigger thornier challenge to tackle. And I'm, I'm not sure we're we've made a ton of progress, but, but certainly see it bubbling up in places. You know, the the idea of kind of objectivity, neutrality, balance in journalism. I mean, these are things that journalists have sort of held up as their North Star for 100 years. And it's hard to convince uh, many folks that they are not serving either journalists or audiences in 2020. And I should kind of break that down. So there's parts of objectivity, right, that the ideal of it that that are great. No one's, no one's complaining about the idea that journalists should collect facts, that they should talk to multiple sources and, and be open-minded and try to connect the dots based on what they learn. I think what's, what's damaging and, and problematic is the idea that journalists are, that their personal beliefs and biases, that they don't impact the work, right? That that, that can just be set aside um, and that it doesn't, for example, affect the kind of questions that they ask or the stories they tell or the sources that they believe, right? Like if you're doing a story about a police shooting. I mean, it's been called objective for a hundred years to get a lead with, you know, the police say, you know, the man pulled a gun and, and then they fired. Right. And for most of time, we just could have believed that, right. The police were a official source. Journalists report what they said, you know, now we have cameras to, to tell us that often that's not true. So, you know, so that, that kind of myth of, of objectivity is, is breaking down in a lot of ways. You know, the other half of that is this idea of, of neutrality, that that journalist role is just to put information into the world and let people do with it what they will. You know, sunlight is the best disinfectant is a phrase you hear a lot in journalism. You know, the problem in this age is the sunlight's not getting through all the, the fog, right? All the all the smog that's being created by by the propagandists and and the crap on our social feeds and um I think there, 
there is a need and a role for a more activist type of journalism that that thinks about outcomes, right? And thinks about how its journalism creates an impact. And it may not may not be enough now just to put your reporting into the world and say, here are the facts that that in a complex uh, world with all this misinformation and disinformation, you need to help connect the dots, you need to push back on on what's false, you need to sometimes take us take a position, help people understand that not all things are two equal sides <laughs> competing against each other, right? The classic example, you know, climate change, right? If you have 100 scientists, 99 say that climate change is real and it's caused by humans and one doesn't. And then you, if you write a story that, that interviews one denier and one, one scientist that believes in climate change, then you've created this perception of kind of false balance, right? Oh, here's, here's the two sides, here's what they say. You haven't helped people understand that there's actually a real difference in, in the scale of that science and, and the validity of it. So Ben, you've addressed one way to tackle sort of the business aspect of this in terms of supporting entities like that Substack blog that you're following, or maybe you're a stratechery reader and you love those sorts of independent freemium models or to some extent subscription models. But getting on this norm side of things, I'm thinking of both journalists and readers need to change what they're looking for in their content, in their news. And I guess from a journalist standpoint, given that it is such a historic profession, is there room for something like a Hippocratic oath that journalists need to take? Or what is the specific solution or a set of solutions that you'd like to see to help change that culture? You know, I think there's room in journalism for for all stripes, right? I don't think every journalist or every news organization needs to, um, you know, suddenly become uh, an activist organization or or swear its allegiance to progressive causes or conservative causes. Um, I think part of the challenge, and I think the the opportunity, is to make space for more types of journalism and what we consider journalism. You know, and not to sort of diminish the work of some of the news sources, news sources that that I and I think others start to listen to a lot more now, right? Like I listen to Pod Save America. I don't watch NBC Nightly News, right? I think there already is a transition among a lot of you know, both progressives and conservatives to to kind of get news from you know from people who share their values. You know, I think I think the the accompanying challenge is that as we sort of move further into these, these information bubbles, uh, you know, we get our opinions reinforced, we get kind of these safe spaces. And then, you know, especially on the right, you just see that it's not just news with a different kind of political perspective. It's, you know, it's just falsehoods, it's propaganda. And, you know, we haven't, I don't think anyone has <laughs> come up with a solution to that part of it. But I think many people have pointed out that there is this asymmetry where you have a conservative media landscape that has largely sort of abandoned any obligation to, to to facts, to honesty, and a kind of mainstream media landscape that may be more progressive. Um, certainly, in the the kind of the journalists in its newsrooms have sort of personally progressive views. The stories it's tell tend to have a, a progressive bent to them, but they are still playing very much by the old rules of the game. And, you know, we saw this so clearly in 2016, right? Like balancing Hillary's emails with 
you know, everything Donald Trump did. I, I think 2020 has been better, but, you know, there's still this, this instinct among mainstream journalism to, to try to, to create balance even where it doesn't exist. And, you know, I, I think there will still be a space in whatever comes next for the, the NPRs of the world, the, you know, the New York Times to kind of keep that right for everyone, speak to everyone approach. But I'm optimistic that we'll see more more progressive organizations, more, you know, and I keep talking about these, this is kind of a left-right scale, but there's, I mean, the, you know, there's language barriers, there's cultural diversity that doesn't exist in our media, you know, there's all kinds of different perspectives on, on news that I think can and should emerge and should be able to kind of lean into that identity rather than try to be kind of a milk toast version of what journalists have said journalism should be. Well, this, this advice certainly can come at a more topical time, Ben. The Washington Post, you know, changed their motto to democracy dies in darkness. Sacha Baron Cohen famously quoted as saying, democracy depends on shared truths, tyranny depends on shared lies. What do you think our listeners can do concretely in their lives right now so that we can help start to solve this problem of not respectable local news sources? There's a real need and opportunity to not just sort of cede social media platforms. I'm specifically thinking of Facebook to our parents and kind of crazy uncles and other people who kind of peddle in conspiracy theories and misinformation. You know, I one of my regrets of 2016 was that you know, I didn't post at all about the election on Facebook, you know, and so people who followed me didn't see any kind of pro Hillary Clinton messaging or, or facts about what she stood for. What they did see was, you know, everyone's crazy uncles posting that, you know, whatever conspiracy theory about her emails or some people she killed or, or whatever else. So, you know, I think there's a lot we can do within our own social networks to, to try to, to kind of intervene when we see misinformation and to be the commenter that, that sort of links out to some fact checking or debunking, you know, but also just to, to share quality journalism, right? To, to, to share those New York Times articles or Vox articles or whatever else that, um, uh, that will hopefully break through and, and help people get, escape their, um, their, their disinformation bubbles. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is, is, can be on your own Facebook feed that can be in Facebook groups that can be in Reddit threads that can be on next door. I mean, there's so many places now that, um, uh, that, that misinformation spreads. And, you know, I worry about progressives kind of retreating from those spaces because they see them as toxic and just sort of sacrificing uh, a whole lot of people to, to sort of live within that and, and not have pushback and, and contrary perspectives. So, you know, that, that'd be my one piece of advice is to, to engage on those platforms until we can reform them. <laughs> well, you heard it here, Fixers. Read good news, share good news, burst some bubbles, and let's get that disinformation and misinformation out of here. Thanks so much for joining, Ben. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks again to Ben for joining us. And thank you, Fixers, for tuning in. Be sure to let us know if you're solving tricky problems in your neck of the woods. Use hashtag Fixer and tweet at us at fix underscore cast. And if you're feeling generous, be sure to give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. It goes a long way to making sure that the message gets out to more listeners. See you next time, Fixers.